Welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio here on the new Sports Radio 910 The Fan, now at 105.1 FM, Richmond's home for VCU basketball. Every game can be heard right here on 910 The Fan. And got Ed Nixon hanging out with us. I hope you're going to be back on TV this year because that's where you shine. Thank I mean, you. I think you're good on radio, but but you got a face for TV, unlike Thank me. You. You know, I appreciate it. Nobody I, I, wants to see this double chin. It's the eyebrows. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. And joining us on the Hadeen Mercer Rug Cleaning Hotline right now is the VCU basketball beat reporter at the Richmond Times-Dispatch, Zach Joaquin. What's going on, Zach? Ed and Adam, what's up, guys? Thanks so much for having me on. How are y'all today? We're doing pretty good. I'm good. So give us, give us your take on the Joe Bamisil situation and if you've heard any more news since it broke yesterday. Well, look, I think everyone in the VCU basketball community was disappointed. Um, everyone wanted to see Joe suit up this year, um, given what he's done in the A-10. Um, I think he had a chance to be a, a prominent contributor, if not a starter, for this team this year. Um, but, you know, I mean, I, I can't really comment on the, how I feel about the ruling. Um, but the thing that stood out to me yesterday was, was really Joe's bravery um, in sharing some struggles that were really personal in his Instagram post um, and opening up about what he's been through and what his family has been through. Cause I think so much of the time in, in this age of college athletics, right? Like, like Joe said in his post, people see it from the outside and they see so many transfers and they see the mobility of rosters this year. And, um, and, and since the pandemic and the few years stemming from it um, and they rush to judgments, I think about players decisions and, and jumping from different teams. And when you really, see underneath the surface what's going on um, for an individual athlete and everything that they've been through, been through personally, um, his father's health issues, his own mental health struggles. Um, I thought it was really brave of Joe to open up about that. It's important, right, for, for college athletes um, in this day and age to be able to discuss things like that. And so I admired him coming out and opening up like he did. Um, and I think it was important for everyone to see that perspective, but perhaps not for people in the VCU basketball community who know Joe, um, and, and who know his story, but for people from the outside looking in, because this has garnered some, some national attention here. I think I saw Jay Billis tweeting about it yesterday, yep. you know, um, and, and I think it was important for people in the national sphere to, to see Joe open up a little bit um, and see what he's been through um, because college athletes are people um, and it's, you know, a business a lot of the time. And so I think people look at this on surface level and don't think of, of student athletes as people. And so, I appreciated Joe opening up and think it was important for everyone in the national conversation to have that perspective on what student athletes can go through on a day-to-day basis and why decisions like being at your fourth school in a few years are made. So where are we at now? What's the next step in the uh, appeal process if Joe wants the NCAA to take a closer look at this? And do you expect VCU to make a public statement? I do. I do this afternoon. I think VCU Athletics uh, AD Ed McLaughlin is going to make a comment this afternoon. I know Ryan is going to discuss it on the coaches show. Um, uh, Going forward, I know Joe called it an egregious and disappointing ruling. He's obviously going to appeal. appeal. I'm not sure what the timetable for that is. And I think that that in this process, a lot of the time is the frustrating aspects from an administrative standpoint, right? I mean, it's September, you know, and, and in the age of roster mobility and, and how much turnover you've gotten, VCU is obviously a great example of that this off season. I mean, people around the team need to know what their roster is going to look like going into the year. And so for a decision like this to come down midway through September, when you learn that you're not going to have a guy that you'd hope could be a really prominent contributor, that's difficult to adjust to. Right. And so I think that they would hope for 
some sort of immediate decision from the NCAA. But to my understanding, that's part of the frustration with this process is there's, there's not a whole lot of communication and a whole lot of clarity in terms of a timetable a lot of the time. And, and my impression is that that was the case here. Okay. So just, I need, I need to know, do you know the criteria that they judge off whether they will approve a transfer or disapprove of one? That's the big question. Um, I think everyone's trying to figure that out right now. I think that it's changed over the last few years, right? And I think that's a big part of the frustration with this process is that it feels like a moving target to a lot of student athletes and and, and to a lot of programs. The NCAA was very lenient about multiple time transfers amid the pandemic era. And and that made all the sense in the world when when you had kids changing programs and, and the shortened season and the extra years of eligibility and stuff. But now they're saying as we get further away from the pandemic era of college athletics that they want to to kind of crack down and, and be less lenient on things like this. But they've still said that they wanted to take factors into account, like moving closer to home, um, like a player who's, who's dealt with personal struggles, like a player who's dealing with family health struggles. And so I think that that's the confounding part about this decision is it feels like Joe's situation checked so many of those boxes that they've said that, that they would, of factors that they would take into account. Yeah. And so I think that's the main source of the frustration here, right? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's an NCAA issue that the NCAA put on themselves. You know, it, it became the wild, wild west with the NIL and the transfer portal and the amount of money that was going on in college basketball. And yet VCU was like a free bull, running around, knocking <laughs> people over, winning championships. And now they're trying to rein us in in a year where it should be impossible. I mean, seriously, VCU should have so much leeway because of the fact that we're dealing with a new coaching staff and basically a, a new starting lineup uh it's michael uh it's ed nixon awad here and zach joaquin we got a new show 10 to noon with michael phillips i know he was your uh, former co-worker mp on the mic 10 to noon and he started his show with an interesting take and i don't agree with him but here's what he said which was joe bamis's appeal the denial is actually best for vcu and college basketball in the long term because it is the wild, wild west, and nobody understands their rules. I think some more clarity would certainly be appreciated. Um, I, I, you know, I admire Michael a great deal. I guess I'd, I'd push back on that a little bit um, in terms of it, it being an immediate good thing for VCU. Because, look, you already had some roster adjustments that, that Ryan's had to make, right, with losing Jacob Patrick, um, who's a, the, the young recruit from Germany um, who spent a little bit of time over at VCU and then ended up going back to his home country. And so you're short a couple of roster spots perhaps for this season now that you'd hoped would be filled with guys who could contribute right off the bat. And so I think Ryan's probably going to have to move some pieces around and the rotation might be shorter this season than, than he'd anticipated that he'd plan for with some younger guys uh, getting some more play. And so in the short term, I don't think it's the best thing, although obviously it doesn't hopefully long-term limit the time that Joe has with the program. He's still got a couple of years of eligibility, including his COVID year. Um, and so when he gets a chance to suit up next season, if the appeal is denied, then hopefully he can contribute in the same way everyone had hoped that he could this year. Uh, I agree with Michael from the standpoint of we need more clarity for sure. And the NTAA needs to kind of stop going back and forth in terms of it saying, well, we're going to be less lenient, but we're going to take these factors into account. And that's a little contradictory. And so, in terms of the mixed messaging from the NCAA, I certainly agree with them that you'd like them to take more of a hard line one way or the other. And Ed, you were saying both things could be right. Yes, I, I would have to piggyback off what you're saying here. And I, I, I agree with Michael that, you know, it could be beneficial down the line. So moving forward, VCU won't be in a, in a situation where they need to replace a whole team. 
Right. You, you know what I mean? However, in the short term, with Joe not being able to play and, and them just now getting around to saying that, hey, you're not going to be able to play, I mean, well, you kind of hurt VCU because they could have went out and got somebody else. Right. You know what I mean? We had two extra roster spots or scholarships uh, that we could have offered. They were like, no, we're good. We have what we need. However, now with this appeal or with this decision, mm-hmm. it kind of puts VCU in a, in a tight spot. However, for VCU, I just like to add, again, a lot of these guys want to get on the court. Yeah. A lot of these guys want to play. So it's beneficial to VCU in this sense that now the competitiveness of these practices and the competitiveness amongst the team is going to be heightened because they know there's going to be X amount of minutes available that people want to get to. Right, and that's why I I do agree with him in the long term. Look, it sucks for this season, and that's why I don't completely agree with him. It's BS. It's another typical NCAA decision where they don't care about the players, just the the dollar, dollar, dollar. But VCU is on a national level, and a, a rule change would prevent people from going to VCU, balling out, and then saying, I'm going to the SEC. I'm going to make millions of dollars. I'm going to the ACC. I'm going to the Big Ten. And so from that perspective, I do agree in the long term, it should be good for the Rams. I agree. Yeah. And what I will say is this. If you're balling out and you can make $800,000, be my guest. I, I Look, <laughs> I, I am I am team make your money. Yeah. No matter what, I understand that you know VCU is where we are. We're a high mid-major, high, high mid-major school. However, if somebody's offering you two hundred thousand, four hundred thousand to play basketball in college, I remember having to struggle to get some pizza. Shout out to a stream pizza that no longer exists. Deirdre, you my guy. <laughs> however, however, make your money. I'm team make your money. Oh man. Hey, Zach, great stuff, man. We're running out of time here, but uh real quick, thirty seconds or less here. Give me some of the best high school football games we've got going on this weekend. Collegiate at Douglas Freeman tonight. VHSL and BISAA matchups are always hard to come by. That one's going to be really fun. Cougars quarterback Jack Callahan uh, threw six touchdown passes and went over Goochland a couple of weeks ago. He's had a really hot start to the year. Excited to see what he can do against a really strong Douglas Freeman uh, defense. That one's tonight. And then Glenn Allen at Thomas Dale on Friday. Uh, Jaguars are undefeated 3-0 and going to face one of the area's strongest programs. Uh, the, uh, the Knights are number four in our ranking. Ethan Minter is their quarterback. He's a UBA recruit. It's going to be really fun to see what uh, what Perry Jones and his Jaguars can do in a really tough test at Dale. Uh, Manchester at Midlothian is the one I'm covering Friday night. I'm super excited for that. That's a rematch of our game of the year last year. It was a 31-30 Manchester victory in double overtime. Lancers have uh, defensive end Mackay Byerson, who's a West Virginia recruit, one of the best talents around. I'm really excited to see him and to go to Midlow for one of the best atmospheres in the area, Poach Stadium. That one's yep. going to be a lot that's of fun. Our, that's our game of the week. Can be heard on 96.1 with Coach Gary Criswell and Gary Hess. Follow Zach on social media at Zach Joachim and read his work, Richmond.com. Thanks a lot, dude. Of course. Thank you, guys. Ed and Adam, stay well, fellas. Yep, Ed. Thank you. Good stuff stopping by, man. Great no segment. Problem. Thank you for having me. Yep, appreciate it. You're listening to AWOD Radio on The Fan. Welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio. Here on the new sports radio, 910 The Fan, now at 105.1 FM. Every Monday on 910 The Fan, you can hear who's talking. An extensive look at the UVA basketball and football program. Alongside Frank Maloney, it's Jim Hobb. Good. We're going to continue our UVA conversation right now as joining us on the Hadid Mercer Rug Cleaning Hotline from the Augusta Free Press. It's my buddy Chris Graham. What's going on, Chris? 
Adam, how are things going, man? It's going pretty well. Hey, let me ask you this. Are you so wrapped up in college sports? Did you watch the NFL on Sunday, or were you too busy? Okay, honestly, I had it on. I had red zone on in the background, but uh, the day after a, a, a UVA game is usually writing day two stories. <laughs> so um, I finally got to watch some of the end of the 4 o'clock hour on red zone, so it took that long. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's go back to UVA versus JMU. And first, before we break down the game, take me back to the pregame ceremony as they honored the lives of those who lost their lives in last year's tragedy. Yeah, I mean that's that's been months coming. Um, the 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 video that played on the big scoreboard was was very emotional, obviously for lots of UVA fans, UVA alums. Um, you know, you know this has been, uh, you know, obviously for the families and the players and the coaches, it's been a tough year, and for for a lot of fans, it has been too. You know, you you, you feel like even if you don't know the young men uh, and young women who play sports uh, at at UVA or any college, whatever college you're affiliated with. You feel like you, you get close to them. You kind of know them. And, um, I mean, that's still something that I, I don't know that UVA fans will ever really forget, and I don't think they should. I think that those those three numbers, 115 and 41, those three names, Lavelle Davis Jr., um, Devin Chandler, and Deshaun Perry, will, will forever live in lots of folks' hearts. And, and uh, that was a, it was a fitting tribute. It was, it was really nice to, to have, you know, have their memories, have their families out there. And also, of course, I mean, Mike Collins, uh, yeah. who, who survived that shooting, and have him honored the way he was as well. It's an emotional game. It's a packed house. It's an in-state matchup. UVA freshman Anthea Calandria whipping the pigskin around the field, and then boom, the rain comes. Uh, take me through your perspective of the rain delay. You know, it felt like to me that if that rain – I know it's going to sound like an excuse if you're a GMU fan listening in, but it felt like to me if that rain delay doesn't happen – UVA wins that game going away. And I think Kurt, Kurt Signetti, the JMU coach, sort of conceded as much after the game. He talked about how his team was tired uh, and how they used that break to sort of regroup, not just regroup from a physical standpoint, emotional standpoint, but then also from an X's and O's standpoint. They came out, they had a, a great offensive, uh, two, two great drives, eight plays, 80 yards each time they got the ball. Uh, and Virginia, I mean, Virginia's side of it was, you know, when you're ahead in a game like that, you need to try to run the ball and run clock. You need to run your what they call your four-minute offense. Well, Virginia has not been able to establish a running game yet. And so um, they got a couple first downs on that drive. One was by a pass. One was on a fourth down run. But just not able to sustain anything uh, on the ground all day, and particularly on that drive. And so, you know, JMU had an advantage. I, I really think, though, that if that game doesn't go to that break, um, that maybe things play out differently. But it did go to that break, and JMU took advantage. You're not the only one who believes that. It's pretty much everyone in the office here at Odyssey Richmond. We've all said if there's not a rain delay, UVA wins that game. And part of it was the student section for JMU. Uh, what did it look like in that fourth quarter there? You know, w- when we were there, it was really odd uh, to see because the delay was over an hour. Uh, the JMU folks came back. The UVA folks didn't. Now, I've, I've written about that and uh, subsequent to that, got uh, a few comments from readers, both emails and comments on the website and on social media, suggesting that, um, that there were some issues at some of the gates, maybe the student gates particularly, uh, where ushers were, were confused and didn't let UVA students back in. Uh, you know, in this ticketless day and age, it's, you, know, you can't just show your ticket stub and say, hey, I'm already here. Uh, and there were some there were some confusing uh, messages being given out to the UVA students who did not return in any numbers. I mean, you know, before before the the rain, it was a really great attended game. 
the hill was completely orange. There was a little sliver of purple, but, you know, the hill was orange. The, the student sections were almost full to the top. And then when you come back, there's hardly any UVA student fans, hardly, you know, a lot of UVA fans just left. Whereas the GMU folks were loud. I mean, they got a they got a motion penalty, a, a procedure penalty on UVA on UVA's first offensive play after the after the break. So um, it was very odd that a UVA home game turned into a GMU home game. Yeah, and it's not very often in college football where you can say a team has some serious momentum after a loss, and that's why I think Tony Elliott made a mistake announcing that Tony Musket would return as the starting quarterback. I'm looking big picture here with Tony Elliott and UVA, and I don't want them to be at the bottom of the ACC. And if they think they found something with freshman Anthony Calandria, why not see what he's got throughout the rest of the season, and then you can build upon that when he's a sophomore and a junior. Why do you think they made the decision to go back to Musket? I mean, Elliott says it's because he, his policy is that you know he doesn't, he doesn't like the, a starter to lose his job because he's injured. Um, what I would suggest, and I wrote this in a, one of my, my, my this week columns, uh, is that the the job came down to a very close race. I mean, uh, uh, Musket was going to be in a race in the in the spring, and he was with Jay Wolfolk, who had been the backup the last two years. When Wolfolk decided to focus just on baseball, then Elliott threw Musket into a, a quarterback battle with Calandria, the true freshman. And uh, Elliott even conceded in the last week of camp that it was still a close battle, that Calandria was pushing him. And so it'd be one thing if uh, Musket was the uh, you know, easy winner in this battle. He had you know, sewn it up months ago, and then, hey, we've had one perhaps fluky game if you wanted to write it off as that by Calandria. But really, this, you know, Musket is the guy. He's been the guy all along. Well, it was really a close battle. And so... Um, I don't know that there'd be anything wrong if he, if Coach Elliott went that route and went to Calandria, but you know, and now what he's kind of done, I think he's kind of backed himself into a corner um, where it's going to be hard for him to take the ball out of Musket's hands if if he struggles, uh, and so this this could be something that could be an issue for a while for this program. Chris Graham with us here on the Hadid Mercer Rug Cleaning Hotline. Follow his work online at the AugustaFreePress.com. Read their work on social media, Aug Free Press. And so I don't know about you because you cover UVA, but I've been play- paying close attention to this Terps program. My mom's a Terp since Coach Loxley took over, and they are a tough football team. They recruit really well. Uh, give me your breakdown of UVA at Maryland. Uh, what EVA is going to need to do, I mean, because this Maryland team has scored 38 points each of the first two weeks. They can put points on the board. Virginia scored 35 this past week, and that's the most in the uh, Tony Elliott era. Only 12 games of Tony Elliott as a coach, but that 35 was the most Virginia scored, and that was, you know, against a JMU team with Calandria quarterback. He, does, he doesn't likely get the ball to start this game this week. Um, Virginia is going to need to figure out a way to, to establish the run, and they've not done that in the first two weeks. Um, you know, when you when you're facing a team like Maryland that can put points on the board in bunches, you know you want to shorten the game as much as possible. And I've been saying that for weeks for this Virginia program. They play Tennessee, which has a really high powered offense. JMU has a really solid offense. Um, but this is three weeks now that Virginia needs to figure out a way to get some running game going. What's been surprising for Virginia is that the defense has been so disappointing, um, giving up 42.5 points per game. Uh, JMU really ran the ball effectively, uh, 5.1 yards per carry. Uh, on Saturday, really you know, finding the A gap, basically either side of the of center, eight yards per carry, right up the gut. If you can get eight yards per carry that easily, you'll do that all day long. So I I look at this Maryland team and say, if I'm game planning, I game plan around that. I also try to figure out a way to if if Tony Musket is the quarterback, 
Uh, Musket was shaky in, 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 the, in week one in that loss to Tennessee, and I make him beat me. And, uh, we'll, and you know, I, I take away the run. I, you know, even though Virginia's not established a run, I make sure they don't establish a run. And uh, that Maryland defense uh, in that win over Charlotte looked like they can, you know, they can do that. So um, this could be tough for Virginia to overcome all those obstacles. Chris, great stuff, man. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks, Adam. Yep, you're listening to AWOD Radio on the fan. Don't go anywhere. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio. Here on the new sports radio, 910 The Fan, now at 105.1 FM. Did want to give a big shout-out to my new producer, Christopher. He's organizing. He's cleaning. He's got the studio looking nice. Everything is organized. It's titled. It's filed. And uh, we are rocking and rolling here on The Fan. And joining us right now on the Hadid Mercer Rug Cleaning Hotline to talk a little NFL, it's Nick Ashu. What's going on, Nick? Well, first off, you brought you came back with some yellow cards, so yeah. I am more than happy. It has been a long time since so I've heard yellow cards, so that makes me very, very happy. Well done, my friend. Oh, of course, man. You know I only play the the best hits, and I always play things <laughs> from early 2000s, basically my childhood. Uh, so before we go around the NFL and we pick the big fat winners that, of course, you give out on BetMGM tonight, give me your 60-second review of Sam Howell and the Commanders after their 20-16 to win? I'd say as expected. Um, you had some ups and you had some downs, right? Like you have some mistakes that were certainly made. I mean, you almost threw another interception in the end zone that ended up not being an interception, but you sacked a bunch of times. He's going to have difficulty with that offensive line the way that it is. I mean, it's just not a good offensive line. We knew that really coming into this season. So he's going to be scrambling. He's going to be moving out of the pocket. He's going to have to kind of, you know, essentially not only learn on the fly as a young quarterback, but also make decisions on the fly. Overall, like, I, I found myself watching him in the good moments saying, okay, like, that's, there's the high end that we see with him. And when he made mistakes going, well, he's a young quarterback. This is what we have to expect. So, like, this was the big question mark, and I've told you this, and I've said this on, you know, all the time when it comes to this team. So the biggest question mark coming into the season was what Sam Howell was going to look like. But if he stays – at least level-headed, right, and doesn't get discouraged when he makes those mistakes and has a short memory, he'll be okay. I, I, don't, know, I don't know if he's somebody that's going to be, in fact, I, I really I doubt it, that he's a long-term answer at quarterback, but I do think short-term right now there's at least potential there, and they're making the right decision, putting him out there and at least seeing what they've got with him. It's Nick Ashu with us here on the Hadid Mercer Rug Cleaning Hotline. You can hear Nick right here on 910 The Fan, part of BetMGM Tonight. All right, let's go through the NFL slate for week two. Starting with Thursday night football. Had to let my dad know it's not on TV. It's on Amazon Prime. <laughs> 815 Vikings-Eagles. You got any plays in this one? Yeah, uh, so I, let me tell you something. There's quite a few things you need to look at this uh, offensively with this team, with this game. Uh, I love the over. It was at 48 and a half when I got it. I love the over in the first half, too, sitting at 24. This is just, look, this, these are two teams that are kind of banged up. Or one, just not good, good defensively in the Vikings or banged up defensively if you're looking at the Eagles right now. I'm not somebody that's overly concerned about the way the Eagles looked week one. There were a lot of bad offenses. Like, everybody sits there and starts panicking at the Eagles and like, see, there's going to be regression this year. Well, did you watch the Bengals? Did you watch the Chiefs? Did you watch well, half of the NFL? So I'm not that concerned, especially with a kind of a get-right game against a, a Vikings defense that uh, can get beat very, very easily. We saw them last year. They were 31st in the NFL in total defense. The big thing that stands out to me here, though, is going to be what you've got in the passing game for both teams. And I'll start with the Eagles because the big thing here is Jalen Hurts. 
Jalen Hurts is really good when it comes to going against man-to-man. And Brian Flores, the defensive coordinator for the Vikings, loves man-to-man and blitz. And if they're going to go out, if those blitzes don't get home on a very mobile Jalen Hurts, he's going to beat the hell out of that Vikings secondary because he's going to have two of the best receivers in the NFL putting corners on an island out there, and they're going to make plays that way. But the Vikings offense is good, too. I'm not really concerned about the way that they looked week one. You've got Justin Jefferson. You've got Jordan Addison. These are two. I mean, one is maybe the best receiver in the NFL. The other one is a great young receiver. So I'm looking at overs here. I also like TJ Hawkinson. He had eight receptions in week one. I like the over four and a half there for him this week. Because, again, you have a couple of linebackers that are out for the Eagles. So you're going to have some mismatches there. And when you got a tight end that's going up against maybe some backup linebackers, you're going to get some quick little plays out there. If Cousins wants to kind of move the ball quickly early on to get the offense in a flow, he's got a really good chemistry with Hawkinson. We saw the targets last week. So I think this is a high-scoring game, and a, it, a, both offenses will look much better than they did week one. I, I agree. I, I would take the over as well. All right, rapid fire here as we go through the Sunday slate. Are the Pack back there in Atlanta against the Falcons? Yeah, listen, back is back is a strong word, considering we've, we've seen one game, I think, with Jordan Love, and that team didn't look very good last year with Aaron Rodgers. But I think they're in a good spot right now. It really is, is Christian Watson going to be healthy? They didn't have him week one, and you're not going to get to see the Bears every single week, unfortunately, if you're the Packers. So they need Romeo Dobbs to be fully healthy, and they need Christian Watson to just be out there. But if they can run the ball consistently and take some of the pressure off Jordan Love, I mean, we saw, look, the guy threw three touchdowns. He looked very comfortable. There's chemistry with those receivers. The coaching staff seems to be comfortable with him. I mean, the guy's been sitting for three years, so you would hope at this point he's comfortable in that offense. I would say that the Packers are certainly a team that can contend in a very weak division to win that division, but I'm not looking at them as a team that can go in and get to, like, the NFC Championship game. Raiders at Bills. We're doing an Odyssey NFL Survivor Pool, and I'm very seriously considering taking the Bills. What do you think? Yeah, I, I like the Bills. I also I bet the Bills in minus eight and a half. I think this is a bounce back game for them. I mean, listen, Josh Allen. I don't know what he was thinking in that game. Maybe he was drunk. Maybe he was half asleep. I mean, maybe he just thought I, like it was mind blowing. Like I know he loves to make those home run plays, but you've got to have more self awareness. Look at the game. Look who you're going up against. They gave an opportunity for the Jets to stay in that game and eventually win it. Zach Wilson on the other side of the field. If you're Josh Allen, you don't have to make those types of throws. His Four turnovers led to 13 points for the Jets. They won that game because of those turnovers. So you can't have that happen again. I don't think it's going to happen again. The Bills will look a little bit better offensively. They'll be settled down. Look, there was a lot going on in that game. It was just, there was emotion. It was, it was, it, they just looked completely lost. I'm not ready to write the Bills off by any stretch. I definitely like the Bills against the Raiders. There's trouble in Bengal land. I've got the Bengals going 0-2. Zay Flowers is my offensive rookie of the year. I love the way they got him involved week one. Lamar was a little rusty. He'll look better. I've got the Ravens upsetting the Bengals. Yeah, that's, that's not a bad pick at all. I mean, listen, I really like the Bengals overall, but the one thing that I said before the season started was watch out for a slow start with them. They started off 0-2 last year, and the last two seasons, the Bengals failed to score 30 points in a game until week six. So they've gotten off to notoriously slow starts. And even though the Ravens didn't look great last week either, I mean, especially offensively, they're dealing with a bunch of injuries. It may take a few weeks for the Bengals to really get this thing in a rhythm. I understand that, like, you've got a bunch of guys on that offense that have already played together. But when you don't play at all in the preseason and you've got Joe Burrow back from a calf injury, which maybe he's 100%, I doubt it, who's really 100% right away coming back from a calf injury or really in an NFL season. But I, I just... 
I'm a little concerned about the early start for the Bengals, so I would I would probably lean Ravens in this. But for me, taking a side, I actually stayed away from this game completely. Dolphins had the best-looking offense week one, two or three for oh. 466 yards, three touchdowns, Tyreek Hill. Glad I have him on my fantasy team. Yeah, baby. Uh, do they get the win in New England against the Patriots Sunday night? Yes, I love the Dolphins, and the Dolphins could be the number one seed in the AFC if they can stay healthy. I mean, that 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 offense is, I mean, it's absolutely incredible right now. Now, what I'm concerned about with the Dolphins is their run defense because the Chargers ran for 121 yards in the first half. They finished with 234 on the ground. So if you're the Dolphins, you've got to shore up that run defense because you know New England's going to want to try and run the football. Now, whether or not it actually works with somebody like Ezekiel Elliott, I mean, Ramondre Stevenson is certainly way better and going to get more of the carries. They're trying the Zeke thing, but, you know, Bill Belichick is as smart as it gets, man. So they really have to shore up what you've got defensively. But listen, if you can throw for 466 and three touchdowns and you've got Tyreek Hill on the other side that can, at any point can break off a 70-yard touchdown, you're always in a game no matter what. So, yeah, I like the Dolphins, too. All right, last question I got for you. Commanders at the Broncos. Uh, give me your pick for this game, and who throws for more yards between the two quarterbacks? Oh, God. First off, I took the under in this game. This <laughs> just screams under without question. Man, I'm so disappointed. I spent all summer talking about how Sean Payton was going to fix Russell Wilson. He's going to be humbled after last year. It's going to be different. And what do they do? They go out and they put up 16 points in week one. It was an abomination. But what I actually do, I mean, this is two really good defenses. If I've got, if you're going to make me pick a side, if you're going to make me pick a side, I'm going to go Denver because it's in Denver and Washington with a young quarterback on the road is going to be difficult. But you've got two really good defenses, especially that Washington defensive line. So for me, if you're betting on anything in this game, I'm taking the under. It's sitting at 39 right now at BetMGM. So like that's, that's if you, the higher the number you can get to take that under, go for it, shop around, do your thing. But to me, if I've got to take a side in this, I'm taking the Broncos to win this game. Nick, great stuff as always, man. Follow Nick on social media at Nick Ashew. Check him out on the Odyssey app. Host of BetMGM tonight. Thanks a lot, dude. See you, buddy. Yep, you're listening to AWOD Radio here on the new Sports Radio 910 The Fan, now at 105.1 FM. So I'll give you my official prediction for Vikings against the Eagles and AWOD Certified Game of the Week coming up next. Welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio. Here on the new Sports Radio 910, The Fan, now at 105.1 FM. Thursday night football tonight from the link, Lincoln Financial Field, your NFC champions in 2022, hosting the 0-1 Minnesota Vikings. And once again, we have primetime Kirk Cousins. Every bone in my body, every ounce of blood inside of me says, stay away from Kirk in primetime. Kirk Cousins in prime time is basically Andy Dalton. He's nothing good. He's not going to win you many games. But I do think they're going to be a bounce-back performance from the Vikings offensively. And with that being said, I will not take the Minnesota Vikings to win this game, but I will take Kirk Cousins and the Minnesota Vikings to cover the six-point spread. Philadelphia at home. Look, that offense looked a little rusty last week. I do think that they're going to play better. Nick Ashew's already telling everyone, take the over, right? This is an offense here for both teams that should be able to successfully move the ball up and down the field. 
The only problem is Thursday night football games have a tendency to be low scoring because they're filled with a lot of mistakes. Penalties, miscommunication. I think the miscommunication tonight is going to be defensive miscommunications, which is going to lead to guys streaking open down the middle of the field. And so I am going to predict that the Eagles win this game tonight by a final score of 38-34. to Vikings offense will score a ton of points. Kirk will be able to team up with his new weapon, Jordan Addison. Justin Jefferson, expect him to get over 100 yards. I don't think they'll be able to run the ball much with Madison. Maybe they'll throw it off to him in the flat. But this is two offenses that I think are better than they looked in week one, and I think they're going to pour it on the board tonight on Thursday night football. Look, the NFC champions, the Eagles, are trying to shake off that lackluster performance that they had in the second half against the New England Patriots. A game when they were up 16-0. Last year, they cruised a victory in that game. This past season, or this past weekend, they had turnovers. They won the turnover department pretty much every single week last year. That's why they were 11-0 to start the season. That was the issue against the Patriots. But you don't see Jalen Hurts fumble the ball very often. He fumbled it on a quarterback run. He got hit, hard hit by the Patriots, skull of the helmet, hit right in the football, and it bounced away, and the Patriots were able to recover. I don't expect him to make that kind of a mistake tonight. Give me the Eagles to win, but the Vikings to cover the six-point spread. All right, so let's go through the NFL Sunday slate here as we give you AWOD certified game of the week. This is AWOD certified game of the week. Officially recognized as the NFL game this weekend that is certain to meet the qualifications or viewing standards set by football guys around the country. Touchdown! 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 Diving for the left pylon. He's in for the touchdown. Guaranteed to be a football guy's football game. All right, Christopher, I think the audience needs to understand just how difficult of a task this is that I put on myself every single week. AWOD certified game of the week, guaranteeing that viewers around the globe will enjoy this game, no matter the teams. AWOD certified game of the week, week one, was Bills at Jets. An overtime win for the Jets, in which Aaron Rodgers only played 75 seconds, but Xavier Gibson had an incredible punt return for a touchdown in overtime as the Jets would upset the Bills on the most watched Monday night football game in years. Nearly 23 million people turned into ESPN to watch Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, Chris, that'll do. That'll do. Yeah, yeah, you know, that'll do. Certified game of the week, 23 million viewers. Yeah, you know what? That'll do. That's that'll do. That's a good pick. Yeah, you know what? Yeah, that'll do the job. Yeah, 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 that's a good one. What do you think? Will that do? That'll do. That'll do. All right, so this week I gave a two stars to Vikings at Eagles, uh, two stars to Seahawks at Lions, that should be a good game, and two stars to Dolphins at Patriots. But AWOD's Game of the Week, certified Game of the Week, guaranteeing that sports fans around the country will enjoy this game, is the Kansas City Chiefs at the Jacksonville Jaguars. I mean, I love this matchup. I love this matchup. Should be a very high-scoring game. An actual rematch of last year's playoff matchup 
in the second round of the AFC playoffs. Chiefs won that game. Jags want revenge. <clears throat> Who looked better week one? The Jacksonville Jaguars. Who's got the better quarterback and coach? The Kansas City Chiefs. We'll find out the injury report as we get closer to Sunday. But I'm locking that in here on a Thursday as AWOD's certified game of the week. Kansas City against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Jags week one got a victory against the Colts. Week two, they're hosting the Kansas City Chiefs. Here's the line and the spread right now. It is Kansas City minus three and a half over under at 51. I think you can take that over right now. I mean, this is a game here where I think the lowest scoring could be like 27 to 30. That's 57 points right there, blowing past the 51 point over. Patrick Mahomes in his season opener, 226 yards, two touchdowns, but a costly interception as Detroit shocked the world and took down the Chiefs. Trevor Lawrence, 24 for 32, very efficient, 241 yards and two touchdowns, but also one interception. The difference, his team was able to bounce back from that mistake because they got a lot from the run game there. And and this that's where this game actually could be decided. I mean, I really like the Jags offense because Trevor Lawrence can throw it to some good weapons there. Calvin Ridley was terrific week one, 101 yards. Zay Jones maybe the, made the catch of the season uh, in the end zone. He scored a touchdown. Evan Ingram looked like a, a young version of Evan Ingram. Five catches, 49 yards. But Travis Etienne Jr., 18 carries, 77 yards. That's a 4.3 average, and he got in the end zone. He also caught the ball five times for 27 yards. He is the ultimate weapon, a weapon that Kansas City doesn't really have. They got some nice pieces in the backfield with Pacheco and McKinnon. Patrick Mahomes is going to have to win this himself. But Patrick Mahomes wins this game because... The Chiefs just don't go 0-2. They don't do it. It never happens. AWOD certified game of the week is the Chiefs against the Jags. Appreciate everybody listening to the show today. Thanks to Mike Barber, Michael Phillips, and all of our special guests. I'll see you guys tomorrow at 12 noon. It's Grant and Danny coming up next from Washington, D.C.